Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Hughes Benson, the host of the podcast, and it is great to have you here. Thank you for giving us about 30 minutes to listen to this podcast. We are down in the church basement of Columbine United Church. I'm grateful to, for Columbine for making this space available to me to do videos and podcasts. If you ever come to church, I invite you to come downstairs and see our recording studio. Hey, I am not down here by myself today. I have Damien Mulvaney, who is someone who is, a, I consider a, a member of Columbine, but a member at large. Damien and I have known each other for about 20 years, and uh, we've kept in touch. We have coffee. We have lunch together. And so our relationship goes beyond Columbine United Church, especially as he has entered into his retirement years and has gotten into something that is actually very, very cool. And that's why I've invited him to come down and join me today, because I want you to hear all about what Damien is doing. So, Damien, thank you for coming today. Steve, this is such an honor, and I am so impressed with your setup here. But I have one question. Where is the snow globe microphone? <laughs> I mean, the we world famous snowball microphone. We I have mean. graduated beyond the snow okay. globe. It, it needs to be framed somewhere here to remind us of our humble beginnings. <laughs> I forgot about You know, I keep that snow globe with me wherever I go in case I get an, a wild idea someplace. It's that little snow globe microphone. How funny are you? Yeah, we're kind of high tech, kind of a professional setup down here. So this is like, it's a lot of fun. All right. So, Damien, tell, tell us something about yourself. You're a human being. Let us know who you are. Well, I'm, um, I'm proud to say I'm an immigrant. I grew up in Australia. I uh, came over here when I was on my 19th birthday to um, go to college. I had a wonderful opportunity. And uh, 19 years turned into 50. I've married to a wonderful woman with two great kids, and I had um, 38 years in dentistry, which I truly loved. Um, not necessarily every day, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was uh, it, it, it f fed in with my creative juices. So um, I was able to do a lot of things with my hands. I've always, I've always had trouble defining myself, you know, and, and that's something you have challenged me with over the years. You know, what are you? What's your strength? What do you? And I, it took me a long time. And then finally, I decided I'm a creative. Yeah. That's what I like. Yeah. And so, but um, yeah. That's so, you know, the cool thing, uh, so Damien's business was in downtown Inglewood. He served the greater metropolitan area through his dentistry, doing all kinds of things, serving people who are uh, lower income bracket, giving people sometimes pro bono dentistry. So that was, you've done a good service through the, your dentistry. But I want to talk about what you've gotten into <laughs> after your retirement, because it really tied into your creative part of who you are. And it's now that you consider yourself creative. I want to talk about that. So tell me, tell uh, all of us about this creative side of Damien. Well, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, something that, and I've always enjoyed stories and movies. And um, something growing up, um, I, I, I did, s creative writing was something that, you know, I even considered 
you know, if you could make a buck from it, how would, you know, uh, as they always say, don't give up your day job for writing. But um, what, during my dental career, um, I wrote some articles. I uh, did, um, had a few things published, case studies, stuff like that. Um, I did some lecturing, so I had to write up all that sort of stuff. So it was a, a progression for me. Um, short version of the long story is that um, I uh, lost my brother. My brother was lost at sea in 1963 in a naval training accident. And um, I was 10, he was 19. Um, it was the largest uh, search and rescue, peacetime search and rescue that had ever been undertaken in Australia. And he and three other members of his crew were never found. And so consequently, um, that had a huge impact upon me. Um, there were constant, uh, uh, we had reporters at the front door growing up. We had constant phone calls. There was just barrage. And my family accumulated all of this information because there was a inquiry, then a court-martial, and then there was a huge government scandal when the uh, court-martial verdict was overruled by the uh, Minister for the Navy. So here I am, this you know, 10-year-old kid in this maelstrom of stuff going on. And what do 10-year-old kids do? They go and hit a tennis ball against, the, at least I did, against the wall or play football or something like that. But it left a huge impact on me. And so fast forward to 1998, and I got a call from my mother in Australia saying, you'll never guess what's happened, but your high school where my brother went, my father went, it was a Jesuit high school, um, been in Melbourne for 150 years, um, we're going to honor my brother. And my mother, uh, in an Anzac Day ceremony, which is the Australian equivalent of Memorial Day. And the Navy had never honored my brother. And so this represented a significant closure for my mother. And she said, would you come down? And I said, sure. And she said, and by the way, I want you to talk about your brother. And so I thought, oh, okay. So I arrive, and I just wasn't sure what to say. And I started going through... I found the box with all the documents. There were court documents, there were letters to the editor, there were newspaper clippings. And I don't know if you, the reader, the listeners appreciate, but I think in families there are certain archetypes of people who are carried through. And what I'm trying to say is that um, we, we, I realized that I could never compete with a ghost. Yeah. And... So oh. my, my brother had been sort of elevated to something that I could never attain to. And so when I – and that was carried through with the family mythology, uh, and I mean that respectfully. Um, and so when I started reading all of these articles, I realized this guy is totally different from what I had been told about all my life. You know, my mother, he growing up Catholic – um, he was an older boy and he was a member of the Sodality and, you know, she emphasized all of these heavy-duty um, Catholic aspects of him and he was basically a saint. Well, I started realizing my brother was a chain-smoking uh, <laughs> drinker, um, a great guy that I wish I, I would have loved to have hung out with and he was a 
I'm going to use the word badass. He was, these guys were incredibly strong, and he was a gifted sailor. At 16, he had already done the Sydney to Hobart yacht race, and I'll let you Google that one, um, twice. And, um, and that's one of the world's most dangerous, but also um, challenging yacht races. And um, his 30-foot boat that he was crewing on came in second. So this guy really knew his stuff. But be that as it may, I, I got through my speech, and I, what I did is I twisted it, my eulogy, I call it. You know, how often do you get to eulogize a, um, somebody posthumously? And I eulogized my brother, and, and, I, and I was talking to all the students, the younger, the, you know, the kids at my high school, and I, I twisted it, turned it into where I made it an X game X exercise, so something that they could relate to. Anyway, that night, couldn't sleep. Um, my mind was going a million miles an hour, and I'm thinking about all of these things I knew about my brother, you know, fighting, being sent out in a sailboat, a whaler, a 27-foot boat, and encountering, 20, you know, 30-foot waves, you know, total negligence on part of the training officer sending these guys out in these conditions. And, and I started thinking, I've got to write about him. So what started off as writing a book, I started thinking, as a movie buff, I started thinking, these action scenes are incredible, uh -huh. even though it's my brother. And so I had this sort of duality of writing about somebody, but then realizing, oh, my God, I'm writing about my brother and the tragedy. And my father died two years after my brother was lost. And so... It, it had a profound impact upon my family, but that's when I wrote my started my first script. And so you started screenwriting. Yeah. And out of the death of your brother. Out of the death of my brother, and it only took me twenty two years to finish that script. Oh, it took you twenty two <laughs> years to finish the script. Yes. So you started in nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight, and you finished because I read that script. Yeah. When did you finish the script? Uh, with your help and your prodding, thank you, <laughs> I finished it in 2017. Wow, wow. But it had gone through many drafts, uh -huh. and briefly, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh -huh. I, I bought some software. The, the gold standard in screenwriting is called Final Draft, and um, Final Draft sets up all of the formatting. So I'm basically writing a movie script that's a novel, <laughs> uh -huh. and um, and I had my mother read it, and my mother approved of things, and she would because it was basically Gotta historical. Have our mother's approval on isn't this that stuff cool? That we <laughs> do, <laughs> and I don't think she fully appreciated what I was that maybe it might become a movie one day, and I'm still hoping. I'm unfortunately um, I've had a lot of nibbles. I've had a couple of big bites. You will. You've won several awards. I've been very lucky with that, yeah. There's a whole thing, Steve, that, that um, they're, what I'm doing, they're called unproduced scripts. And there are tons of contests all around the world, and very often they piggyback in on big, like the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I was very fortunate two years ago to win uh, Best Script for another story um, about... And I've been blessed with a family that's given me tremendous yeah, stories. You've got some interesting family backgrounds. <laughs> I do. And anyway, it, it won um, Best Screenplay. 
Yeah. Um, I've had a bunch of nibbles. Um, How many scripts have you written? I've written four. You've written four. I've read yeah. all four of them. Thank you. And they're a lot of fun. I mean, you uh, when you read this, the, um, the screenplay, it's like watching a movie on a page. It creates this wonderful picture in your imagination. And it's not having a movie show you what's uh, what's happening your imagination creates what's happening when you're actually so it's like reading it's like reading a movie that's what is so fun about your your scripts i'm going to go back a little bit well let me just say that's a very okay. good insight because the mantra in script writing is show don't tell right and right. so my first drafts were very much telling right <laughs> right well no i want to go back i'm going to go back to talk about your brother I want you to talk about the effect that the death of a sibling when you're young, when you're a mm -hmm. kid. I mean, when a sibling dies when you're our age, everybody expects we're aging, someone's going to die, someone's going to die first. And it, there's grieving, but and there's an impact, but not like when you're a kid mm -hmm. and your sibling mm -hmm. dies. What, talk to me about, for other people who have lost a sibling, how, what impact does it have on you as a kid, and how does it carry forward into your adult life? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I think at the time, it was so overwhelming. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I grew up in a close family. Um, my dad was family doc. Mom was retired, was a nurse. And um, the, I think the the tricky part of this was that he was missing and my father never accepted the fact that he would not be found uh -huh. um, that was a biggie for him he kept each at night he would come in and he would um, kneel down and pray with me and pray that Peter would be found huh. my mother accepted it um, and you know it, it wore my father down so I think part of it for me was sort of um, and, and I, and this is the 1950s, or this early 60s, and I was raised in the, you know, the family where the mantra was, uh, children are seen but not heard. So uh -huh. I was not encouraged to be overt and be very, um, outgoing. I was, um, even though, you know, once I got out of the family, sure, <laughs> I would be, um, obstreperous young kid. But I spent a lot of time by myself, so I had a lot of time sort of to process this. And uh, a lot of the attention that I think a 10-year-old, uh, a 10-year-old or 9-year-old craves kind of got deflected. Uh -huh. And so I developed some anger. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned earlier, I, I re realized pretty quickly you can't compete with a ghost. Let's talk about that. I, when you said that, I went, oh, that's profound. What is... What does that mean, you can't compete with a ghost? Um, I think we all tend to, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We, we, we embellish in death. Uh, we, we tend to focus, I'd say, most of the time on all the good aspects of somebody, and they become larger than life. And there's, there's just, they're untouchable. Mm -hmm. You cannot... Um, it, it, it becomes history, and then it becomes part of whom that person is, whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, I, I was struggling to find my identity because I was always Peter's brother, 
mm-hmm. and as always George's son. Mm-hmm. And even though my family didn't have much money, the family was a even though we were Australian born, the Irish heritage uh-huh. and Jokingly, I say when I had my DNA done, my DNA is 94.6 Irish Celtic Scott. So the <laughs> Irish work, you know, the... That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, the point being is that I, I, I wasn't me. Uh-huh. I was... Um, and that, that was a big influence in me coming to the U.S., uh, trying to find, you know, trying to figure out who the heck I am. And Do you think the death of uh, si- this is a common story of people who have ch- have siblings die when they're young that you, they realize they can't compete with a ghost? I, I think it can be. I um, Maybe it's the age and it's also the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. I remember once sitting, um, I, I, you know, I became my mother's companion so to speak my mother would be since she didn't have a husband and I'm 11 and 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 I'll backtrack a little bit you know uh, Catholic grief counseling then the day after my father died um, I go to school and the day after your father yeah, dies, day you after we buried my father and the headmaster walks up to me father brown and he says sorry for your lost son but um, you're the man of the house now so no more fooling around. Get on with it. Um, buck up. And I did. Yeah. And I was lucky now in hindsight saying that my prefrontal cortex was a little more integrated than many of my um, classmates and or my age group. So, yeah, I took on the role of being um, um, an adult right. when I was 12, when I was 11. You know, in my work, I talk with a lot of people uh, about their grief, and um, almost to a person, when they come in and they talk about grief and there's been the death of a sibling when they were young, they flash back to that death like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. The death is always with them. There's always a profound sense of loss. A lot of emotion comes up that... um, that in some ways, it is a ghost that if they don't address and resolve, mm-hmm. the ghost haunts them sure. in so many ways. And I have done some therapy over the years to address this because I, you know, one of the things when, when the, my brother was never found, that's, that's not really a death. I remember right. going to his funeral and the Navy was there and they played... Australia calls it the last post, and there was a coffin. It was a Catholic mass, and I remember my mate saying to me, I thought your brother wasn't found. What's oh, in the wow. coffin? Oh, wow. And, you know, we're outside the church running around yeah. like Kids. nine-year-olds do, yeah. and somebody said, you know, asked me that question, and I said, I don't know, mate. Yeah. It was just there. Yeah. And so I think for, for me with my father, it was a little bit um, precise. Um, that's not really the right word. It was, it was definitive. And um, I think that that, uh, that, that enabled me to um, – I, I felt a lot of anger and because I felt he gave up on me. Mm-hmm. And um, because my brother wasn't – he was a great sailor, but he wasn't 
athletic. My dad was very athletic. Mm -hmm. And I was just starting to show signs. Mm -hmm. I'd won the high jump at school. I was on a football team. I was, and he came and watched me a few times. And I thought, so when, you know, when he passed away, I was angry. I was, I was kind of like, what am I, nothing? You know, right. didn't I give you anything to... So I processed with that for quite a bit. But, um, you know, and I, I've, I, a profound time for me was I finally, I just forgave my dad. Yeah. And the irony now is I look back and I think, and I'm a believer that, you know, someday we will all be, we will all meet again. That's in my belief system that, that I've outlived my dad by almost 20 years. Wow. And so... You know, that's something that I've pondered in my morning meditations. Right. You know, that, hey, it, when we meet again, how will the dynamic be? What will the spirit, right. will I be the father and you are the son? Right. You know, right. anyway. So, that's so let's it. fast forward. Yeah. So you are, it's now 2023. You've written how many screenplays I've again? got four. You've got uh, four. Four um, that are, there's a service called InkTip, and InkTip is the gold standard throughout the world where you pay a monthly fee. It's not outrageous. It's like 25 bucks a month per script, and you list it, and uh, producers will then look at your scripts anonymously, but you get an email saying, hey, you had five look-sees at wow. your script, and then you also will get a... a um, uh, I was very thrilled with this. My my second script, which is um, called Matam, it's about I, I loosely call it uh, Black Lives Matters meets um, um, uh, downtown. Um, uh, uh, what's his name, Ryan? You know from uh, uh, anyway. Uh, it, it's a script that um, anyway. It was picked. It was downloaded by the guys who made Hotel Rwanda. Oh, wow. And uh, so I'm hoping that that might... Jack Ryan is who I'm trying to think okay. of. So it's an adventure one. But yeah, um, it's... Uh, I'm lucky I've got four out there and I've got all kinds of ideas, but my muse or the whisper of God is just not quite working at the moment. Which, um, which screenplay do you think would make the best movie? Wow. Um, I would naturally... I'm biased towards my, my brother, so I think... My last script, uh, Voyager, which was deals with, it flashbacks to my brother, but it deals with what happened three months later when five other members of his class got assigned to a destroyer, and the destroyer was cut in half by an aircraft carrier off the coast of Sydney, and uh, 182 died, including my brother's best friend. But my brother's best friend was posthumously awarded the Albert Medal for Bravery, where right. he rescued a bunch of people. Right. Then he swam back in, and they didn't find him. So neither my brother nor his best friend were ever found. And so it's a very profound story, I think, a big action flick, and that's part oh of the problem. Oh, my God. The action is amazing. When, when you read this screenplay, you're, the boat, the aircraft carrier, slices through this boat and the imagery that it creates and you take yeah. the person down into the hold of the ship as these boys are trying to fight for survival and 
I mean, I kept on turning the, the pages wondering what the hell is going to happen in the <laughs> middle of this movie. I, I kept on wondering, how are you going to turn this into a movie with an aircraft carrier slicing through another ship? I don't know how you create that on film. Well, as I look across at your wonderful green screen, <laughs> there's an awful lot of CGI That's that right. could be done with That's that. Right. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's – I, I, this story, I tried to personalize it around, I told it through the eyes, the protagonist of my brother's uh, best friend, Carrie. And um, the, 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 the key thing was, you know, how do 19-year-olds deal with P- PTSD? You know, my, here's Carrie, who's had to testify in court martials and, and, and inquiries and was the last person to see my brother. And then he gets assigned to this boat so at 19 here he is still dealing with yeah. you know how did the loss so I, I kind of was inspired by the movie 1917 and um, Dunkirk uh-huh. in terms of all the parallel storylines uh-huh. trying to write it from and my whole goal on these things has been to try and honor the unsung heroes who have kept their silence and now almost 60 years later have suddenly come out and are saying, I don't stay quiet anymore. This is what I saw. This is what happened. And the whole script boils down to human error. Yeah, yeah, right. Do you think there's a spiritual dimension? I mean, you're a faithful person. You're a very spiritual person. Um, Do you think that that uh, weaves its way into your screenplays? Yeah, I I think... Honoring the past is it is really important. Um, I feel that uh, these boys have left le- uh, led such wonderful. Um, you know, they they left a legacy, um, and I think that in terms of telling their stories, uh, it, it, for me, it, it's a spiritual experience. Um, there was a few times when I'd be sitting at the keyboard and I'd been, uh, <laughs> I think my wonderful wife came up and she was worried she'd look over my shoulder and see all work and no play makes Damien a dull boy, all work and no play, you know, <laughs> like from The Shining. Uh-huh. And uh, she felt that, you know, the need for me to step away from it because I became very much involved and I could... I wouldn't say I could feel their spirits, but I, 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 f- I felt that there was some interaction from them to me in helping me write these things as though they wanted their, their, uh, their stories told. Oh, that's profound. Yeah. So you're sitting there writing. You felt almost as if they were with you wanting their stories told, and you are conveying, Mm -hmm. you are the medium, if you will, by which these boys, Mm -hmm. ghosts of the past, still really alive through you, and you're the conduit telling their story, keeping them alive. So let me tell you one quick one. I was stuck. I was running out of pages. I hadn't... uh, I'm, I'm just trying to come up. I need another scene. And I went, I don't know, went and got a cup of coffee. I came back, and I just happened to turn one of my reference books open. And it went straight to a, the perfect scene 
for this this character that this character this actual person that I'd been working with, and gave me details of what this person had encountered. Now this is a three hundred page book, and I did the opened it up and opened there it, it up. Wow. So there was that one, and that was for me. I just said thank you, Carrie. I really, Lord, thank you. Yeah. Muse, thank you. But the other one for me very quickly was when I was doing the research on my brother's story, um, my son and I did a well, – we called it our pilgrimage. And we went, um, went to Australia, went to the Naval College, visited some people. I actually got together with some of my brother's classmates at a reunion, and wow. I was the only non-spouse. And I spoke to them. I said, here's what I'm doing. And they had known it, and they'd been sending me emails and information. But, but my son and I actually visited a location where some debris of where they, they found a life jacket from my brother's boat, 100 miles north of where they, the actual oh, wow. boat was found. Okay. And it was on a beach, and we went there, and I realized my brother made it to this beach. I could wow. feel his presence wow. on that beach. Yeah. So there's been some profound interaction in that yeah. direction. Cool. Well, Damien, um, your screenplays have got to be read. <laughs> they have got to somehow get beyond your, you and me reading them and going to people in contests, which, I mean, it's cool to get all these awards, but I think people need to be reading <laughs> what it is that you're writing. Can they? Can they access I, your reading? Sure. Writing? I uh, I have no issues. Uh, the easiest way would be just to send me an email, and that's very simple. It's um, dmulvaney at me dot com. D m u l v a n y at me dot com. Just shoot me a, a, an email and I'll send you a PDF. Um, all my scripts have been registered, but the idea of anybody trying to <laughs> rewrite one of my scripts for their gain would be pretty hard to do since they're all crazy Australian stories and a dentist who gets kidnapped by Al-Qaeda. In, <laughs> in, uh, so that's my Jack Ryan one. But um, no, I'd be honored. Yeah, because I think that the stories are profound. I mean, not only are they great movies, mm -hmm. but the stories are profound. I mean, the story about your brother is very profound. The story about the last one you wrote about the... Um, Voyager. The, the Voyager. It's a profound story. I mean, it is deeply moving about th th these boys sacrificing their lives and then end up dying on their own. I've, that is a profound story. And then for the um, ladies out there who are not necessarily into war movies, I have a crazy one about an uncle who, uh, my that brother's, <laughs> who <laughs> he ended up um, marrying. He was in medical school, and he uh, marries an alleged heiress to the British royal family who was a total scam, and there was a... A child, there was a high court case, there was a kidnapping, and unfortunately there was a suicide. So it's a very... Um, That's a page turner as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the women in, in the in the crowd, that is a page turner. I don't care what sex you are, but that is a real page turner. And I tried to step out of my comfort zone there, and I think I told you this. I, I, I tried to write it from the 
female's perspective because I found, you know, my uncle, you know, what the heck, but I found this lady just amazing. So anyway. All right. We, we are at our time. Uh, Damien, this has been a lot of fun. I've, uh, I knew I wanted to interview you this, uh, in this season to hear this story because I think it's profound. I, um, I want people to read your stuff. Uh, one of my uh, bucket list things, uh, the 100 things that I want to do before I die, is I want to see one of Damien's scripts may turn into the big screen because I think someday that is going to happen. Steve, thank you so much. This has been a true honor. All right, this is cool. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Cowboy Jesus podcast. Uh, please leave a review. Please share this if you are on Facebook. Put this uh, news out there about the Cowboy Jesus podcast. You can also read my blog, also Cowboy Jesus. It's on blog Steve's Cowboy Jesus at blogspot.com. I post that on Facebook and on several other media platforms. So let's continue the conversation. And Damien, it is great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Take care, and we'll see you on the next episode.